Ed, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? Let me read that again. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? This is the Word of God for the people of God. God. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever heard the phrase, there are no atheists in foxholes? Think, do you know what that means? It means basically, when you're in trouble and you don't believe in something, you need to believe in something because you can't get yourself out of the mess you're in. You ever been there? <clears throat> Did you uh, think that you could fix it? Ever been in a pickle so bad that uh, you could never become an uncucumber again? <laughs> it means in that moment we need something to help us that can actually do something about it, right? I heard one guy say, he was talking about it, who was in the military, he had a friend who was an atheist, and um, when they were in the foxhole, he borrowed a Star of David, a, a, a Nazi swastika, he borrowed a, a, a Celtic cross, a, a crucifix, another cross, and a, a couple other things. And he said, what are you doing? You're an atheist. He says, man, i got to believe in something now. <laughs> and so he said, i got to believe now. It's time for me to believe in something and I can't do it. If there's no God and He can't help me, that's alright. But if there is one, I don't want to get Him mad now. It also means um, at those moments when that happens, we have to let go of ideas that we think can help us on our own accord and begin to reach for whatever can help us survive. Sometimes survival creates belief in God. I've got a question for you. And, and, and this isn't going to be a difficult question, I believe. If, and I'm saying if, if you made a New Year's resolution, uh, how's that going for you? Anybody make one? Anybody say, I'm not making it because I can't keep it? Yeah. What about your Lenten pledge? Did that go well? Did you keep it up after Easter? Are you good at making changes in your life that last? It's an honest question. I don't expect you to shout, yeah, 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 or uh-uh. It just, just answer that to yourself. You know, It's not something that you have to answer out loud. But are you a good decision maker? I have to tell you, my sons either got it from me or they just came about it some other way. But we have a tough time deciding what we want to buy or what we want to eat off a menu. I don't know if it's because I have uh, some traces of ADD or what, but I do know this. If I have more than two choices, it takes me a while. Because I'm thinking about, well, this and this and this. And my wife will look at me and go, we want to eat today. My sons will go to the store and look for something to buy. And they will look at everything and decide that they can't make up their mind. So are you a good decision maker where you can just make a decision and you're comfortable with it? 
I've had to learn over the years that I need to make a decision and if it's not good, remake it. You know, you can make a new decision and let go of the old one. Did you know that? You sure can. And that's a good thing because that means we're growing. We realize some choices we make aren't so good. Maybe you realize we all face futility at being human. (laughs) But Popeye theology does not come into play with our walk with Jesus Christ. Do you all remember Popeye theology? Where he always said, I am what I am. And that's what we say, I am what I am. A leopard can't change his spots. I'll always be what I always was. Well, I've got to tell you, you can't look at your past to determine who you are. Your past does not define you. Jesus Christ does. And in Him, you're a new creation. And this morning, I want to challenge you that you are not who you were ten years ago. Why do I say that? It's because our values guide us. And they change over time. And they guide our choices and our decisions. Let's look at the prodigal son. As the story goes, he asked his father for his share of his inheritance before his father passed away. I guess it's because if uh, you had the opportunity to have it now or have it later, he was a have it now kind of guy. I'm a have it now kind of guy. I'd rather have it now and do with it now because later I may not be here. That's kind of my thinking. But what he did is he took the money and sold... Uh, actually, he took the property and sold it for money and went to a foreign land. Spent it all in uh, reckless, shall we say, nicely living. Prodigal is another word. It means um, he was a bad boy. Not the kind of guy you want uh, around. And he spent all his money after the partying was over and he didn't have any place to go. So he began to work in a field for uh, someone there. And the reason he ran out of money was because a famine rose in the land where he was. Isn't it interesting that we sometimes say, save some money for a rainy day, invest for a day when... Tough times come, having emergency savings. Well, this guy didn't do that. He didn't think about that maybe one day the money will run out and there'll be a famine in the land and he won't have anything to eat. He tried to find food and nobody would feed him. Well, in a famine, everybody's after their own stuff, trying to feed their self, let alone a stranger or someone from another country. So he's stuck. Question for you, first of all. Are you prepared for the days of famine? Have you got some reserves or do you spend it all? Most people in our country, we learn, have spent beyond their means and are in debt up to their eyeballs. Those that aren't are up to their ears. And a lot of people are in that situation that when the creditors come calling, they're going to say, you can't get blood out of a turnip. You know what that old saying means? It means you can't get blood from a turnip because turnips don't have blood. So you can't collect from someone who has nothing. And that's the that's their kind of thinking that guides that. Well, I'll just rack this all up. I'm going to go in debt anyway. Might as well just live it up. Because I can't pay it anyway. Might as well make it big. And so that kind of thinking is what guides that kind of life. And this is what this guy was doing. He wasn't planning for the future. He was just living here and now. Eat, drink, and be merry. 
uh, for tomorrow we die, is was his thought, or uh, tomorrow there's a famine. <laughs> so he begins to feed pigs, corn husks, things like that, leftovers. And he wished that he could eat what the pigs were eating. But he had nothing to eat and he was hungry. In our verse today, it says that at that moment, when he came to himself, this is what he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger? Now I want you to hear that sentence clearly. I remember where I came from and I went away from that. I started here and let that go for a different set of ideas about life. I'm a different person than I was as a child, so I wanted to explore the world and be who I was. But I remembered that even those in my father's house who were serving and feeding the animals had plenty to eat. Here, I have nothing. So in his mind, he remembered one thing. The love of his father toward all in his household. He wasn't experiencing that where he was. Nobody gave him anything to eat. Hunger will do that to you. It will make you desperate. But the phrase says, when he came to himself. And I want you to look real carefully at what that means. One person said this. That he had on a nice uh, party coat and a tunic and a shirt and pants and shorts and undergarments. And he he sold his party coat first so he could eat. And then he sold his uh, uh, long pants so he could eat. And then he sold his inner coat so he could eat. And then he sold his shirt so he could eat. And he sold his shorts so all he had was his undergarments so he could eat. And he looked down trying to find something else on his body and he came to himself. And he was already selling himself for feeding pigs. And he, so he couldn't sell himself more. But he came to himself is what it says. His skin and bones. And here's what happens in that moment. And it's a very creative way to say this. There comes a time in life when you have to face yourself with who you really are. Mm-hmm. Not with any attachments. Not with family values. Not with what you know. Not with how much you own. Not your value as a person. Or property-wise. Not your social connections. But just you. Facing yourself. You see, he had never really understood who he was. He never understood his identity as a son of his father. He thought that this other way of life was better. But what happens is his values changed. What mattered to him changed. But when he got back down to where he had nothing, his core values of I'm loved by my father did not change. But that core value had to be there that I'm cared for. But he also realized that he had thrown that relationship away. And in his thinking, he said, I would rather be a servant in my father's house than perish in a strange land where nobody knows me. That's a valid statement. I would rather than this. This is more important to me 
than what I'm doing now. Values make up what we decide to do in a given moment. And I want to share with you a little bit about values this morning. Our values start when we're young. We inherit a lot of them from our parents. They may or may not be good values, but we tend to see our parents as wise and we believe what they say. As we enter new relationships, as we get older, we learn if our core values actually work. Some family values don't work in society. We ask ourselves, are these values in the way I understand people making my relationships healthier out in the world beyond my family? Are they taking me closer or further away from the things that I value for my life? And the truth is, we can adopt and internalize new core values. You see, we have an innate sense of values and personal preferences. We don't necessarily think about, well, this is why I'm doing this. We just value it. But those desires get hidden away when they conflict with society's demands. Like, for example, you may have a desire as a child to do artwork or dance or act, but uh, a parent might be urging you to be a banker or a doctor or something that makes money and is profitable. You ever heard that story before? I'd love to be a singer. And your parents go, okay, but what are you going to do to make money? <laughs> be logical. So those desires can conflict with perfectionist or worried parents. Now, maybe you never had that experience where you or your children um, desire for your life or their life was different than yours. But I do know this. When I think about my children, I want them to do something that's going to help them pay the bills. They want to pursue things, that's great. But please don't forget to pay the bills along the way. That's a parent, right? Now a child's going to go, well, this sounds fun. Let's do it. Sooner or later, when rent comes due and you have no place to stay if you don't pay your rent, all of a sudden you realize, i got to pay the bills. That's uh, something we don't get born with. We learn that over time. So today, I'm gonna, I, I have some things for you. And I'll have them for you after the message. They're core value exercise. I've got about 20 of these for those who would like to do this. It helps you decide what your values are. And once you learn what your values are, you can see why you make what decisions you make. So this will help you do that. And for those who want more, I've got four, I think, of these extra ones that go a lot deeper, that want a whole lot more. And if you want a whole lot more, I also want to sit down with you and help you understand your values and how they affect your life. And so if you get one of those, I need to know so that I can help you with that one, okay? But I have these available so you can determine and understand how your values run your life. I was at a house one time, a uh, lady now no longer with us, when I was pastoring down in Georgia. And I went into her house, and, and I'm not telling you this is right or wrong, but on her living room wall, which was about 10 feet wide, eh, about 6, 8 feet high, and then on the other living room wall, about the same size, were pictures of family. I know her values, don't I? Pictures that were there for years and years and years just kept adding pictures. Her values, family. 
She loves her family. So when I talked to her, what did I talk about? Sports? No! I talked about her family and all the different folks in the pictures. And uh, we connected that way. But we see people's values by what they spend their time with or their money with. If you ever studied value or morals, you'll understand a couple of things I'm about to share with you and why it's relevant to our story of the prodigal son. Kohlberg was a psychologist and he said that infants have little or no moral sense because they're not born with an understanding of the nature of human relationships. Obviously, babies are born. They don't know much of anything. So, that's called um, pre-moral, pre-value age. At their elementary age, which is the first major stage in life, uh, it's called the pre-conventional stage. These kind of children are extremely selfish in their orientation. They think in terms of what will most benefit themselves. They respond to power and authority and think of morality as a matter of following rules so not to be punished. <laughs> That's pre-conventional thinking. A lot of folks keep that as they get older. And if uh, an adult is still in pre-conventional understanding, uh, those folks become sociopaths and narcissists and antisocial personality disorder diagnoses because they don't ever change to see that it's not just about what I want and what most benefits me. I know a lot of people say, it's my right, it's all about me, this is my right to do this. And they, and they step all over other people's rights to do so. But that's because they never moved into something beyond pre-conventional or elementary age morality and values. But when you move into conventional, you see things in terms of duty. To do what's necessary to promote the greater good. Well, let's all get along. <laughs> you hear this in school. Let's all try to get along. Help everybody. Share. All these things are part of conventional morality. Let's be nice to one another. You'll hear that. Act your age, not your shoe size. I've heard that one. But with the time, I had a size 11 toddler shoe or whatever it was, and I was only four. So I was acting my shoe size, I think, not my age. But if you think about it, you can see the different ways people live that out. People in this age, they want to be, uh, obey the law. It's all about the law. I know a, a state police officer who... Um, says, if you're going over to speed limit, you broke the law and you're going to get a ticket. There is no, yes, you did, or no, you didn't. If you broke the law, you broke the law. And, and he got a reputation around southern Illinois of he would give his mother a ticket. And he did for going a mile an hour over. He said, you broke the law. You could have gone slower. And she said, son, I'm your son. He goes, and you broke the law. That's a very moral, conventional way of looking at it. Duty is duty. Law is law. It's black and white. That's how people see that. Um, and they want to gain other people's respect and admiration. This is why this comes along. I'll do it the right way so you'll admire me, you'll respect me, I have integrity. All that stuff comes from that. And um, 
The thing about it, though, is most adults never achieve post-conventional morality, which is the last stage of, it, of growth. Because to get there, something has to happen. You have to throw off your sense of duty to what others want and reinvest in higher principles. Things like honesty, reciprocity, and social welfare. Start thinking about the need of society and community rather than just your own and your immediate family. These folks become willing to take unpopular stances. And they make unpopular decisions because those represent the right and holy or godly thing to do. That it's right to do this. Regardless of the cost to themselves, this is the way to do it. The prodigal son achieved post-conventional morality when he came to himself. And I want to tell you why. The prodigal son, when he left his father's home and sold the property, he was considered disowned. It brought great shame to his father to divide the family land and let a stranger have the family land and the son to take that money and go and live any way he wanted. It was a shame to the father. It was a shame to the older brother who was still at home. And it was a shame to the entire community. But all he wanted was what he wanted. I want it, therefore it's right. By their understanding, if he comes back, He's to be stoned. Because he's bringing further shame if he comes back to his father or anywhere near that community that he must be stoned. You say, well, that doesn't make any sense. He's brought great shame. And that's a bad crime morally for them. And the sense of duty for the greater good is to make sure that he doesn't pollute the thinking of the other people that they would think that this behavior is okay. So, when he says to himself, I'm going back to my father to be a servant, he realizes it's at the risk of his life. Hear me. It's at the risk of his life. It's a principle guided value that says, I'm going to do this no matter what it costs me. But he has something else hanging in the balance. I'm going to die here too. Maybe there I'll have a chance. Here I know I'll die. There I might not. You understand, he's making a very unpopular decision based on a circumstance. But he also realizes that all he's got is himself. He doesn't have any gifts to present to his father to welcome him back. He doesn't have, let me give you this bounty like uh, Jacob did for Esau. Here's all these gifts for you and family for you and cattle and livestock. He's got nothing but himself. He's naked. He's going back to his father naked. Do you understand what the father says? Get a robe on that boy. He's naked. Put a robe on him. Why aren't you putting clothes on him? You're letting him be shameful there. He's already shamed. He shamed me. But he's realized that he knows where home is now. He's come to Himself. He's naked before Me. 
And he says, I'm broken. I'm worthless like this. Only in value with my Father do I have any sense of purpose or living. And when I'm outside of that relationship, it all falls apart. I've come to who I am. And who I am without my Father is nothing. Please understand that the Father in this story is our Heavenly Father. That without Him we are nothing. As children, young children, we believe without our parents we are nothing. But He realized without His Father's love and family relationship, it doesn't matter. You see, when we place our value on what we do, who we're connected with, or our family, or money, or fame, or anything else, we've begun to see that our value and our worth is external. That of ourselves, we don't matter without those things. But what happens when all that's stripped away? Can you see yourself as distinct and separate from the trappings of stuff, of your identity, and anything else you can think of that isn't just you? Would you be accepted vulnerable and naked and penniless? Would you be? Do you have value then? It's how they sold slaves. This little piece of cloth on their body. Nothing else. Do you see yourself as value? You see, we try to turn our lives and our wills over to God. And we come to the altar, we give our life to Christ, and we say, take my life. But we're not successful at keeping that going all the time. We're human. It's not Popeye theology to say that either. It's not because you are what you are. It's because you are a human being and God has designed us to need Him. And sometimes we try to do it without Him. And we keep changing our mind. God, I need You. No, I don't. I can do this. No, I can't. <laughs> but those moments between those decisions can be quite long. We talk ourselves out of our good resolutions shortly after January 1st at midnight. Oh, one. We forget sometimes that we even made them. We fall back into old destructive habits of mind and thinking. It's because our values haven't changed to the higher values. The ones that require sacrifice. But let me tell you this morning, all you have to do is make a decision. You don't have to actually turn everything over to God. In fact, you're incapable of sustaining the action of giving everything to God at every given moment. You can't do it. And I'm not telling you that you shouldn't try. But I'm telling you, you can't. Because you keep having needs and hunger and other things that make you choose other than God in those moments. And that's not a shameful thing. You just need to know that's who you are. And that you're going to make choices other than God from time to time. Live in the understanding that you can forgive that and step back up and say, God, I choose you again. I choose your will for my life. I choose who you are. My values are changing, God, to be your values. I'm still in process. Help me. And surprisingly, when we make that decision, turning over our will to God gets taken care of. He does that through His Holy Spirit. 
we find that we are indeed enjoying what seems to be God's will for us. All He's asking us to do is seek Him. To let Him transform your mind. And the way you think is based on your values. And your values are based on yourself. If you've never been broken enough to see that without God you are nothing, and without Him you can't do a thing, then you haven't been broken enough to know you need God every day, every moment. You need to pray, God, break me. Break me. Break me, God, so I know that You are the only one who can give me life and joy and peace in this world and the next. And this world promises, but it can't deliver, only You can. I built and bought into false castles. The secret here, and it's no secret, is in making the decision as often as you need to for Jesus Christ. I choose you, God. I choose you. You can decide daily, hourly. For some of us, it's every ten seconds. God, I choose you. Oh, I forgot again. I'm choosing you again. Whatever it takes to keep your choice lined up with the value of Jesus Christ in your life. It takes time. You're not born with it. You're not as a child with it, an adult with it. It's another level that only the Holy Spirit can manifest in you. It's when you stand, even when it's unpopular, that having done all to stand, you're still standing for it. Then you speak out for social injustices because you were in those situations. I imagine this prodigal son who comes home and maybe he builds up his kingdom a little bit in his father's home and welcomed there and has some wealth. And maybe, just maybe, some sort of indentured servant or hired hand or a slave comes from another country and he says, I just want to eat in your field and feed your pigs so I can, so I can eat too. And he's going to look at him and say, why don't you go home to your dad? No! It's not what he's going to say. He's going to say, I learned that I can be a father to all. And I will be like a father to you. This is when our values change and we see each other as a needful person that needs our grace and compassion. Our values change. We're no longer about self. Because self alone is worthless. Self with God can do all things. But self alone does nothing. And we keep buying things and acquiring things and making our identity on all this stuff. And it's not God. We can in fact rely on God every time we need help. And usually that's the time we call on Him. But today I'm asking you to turn your life over to God again. And learn His value system. Because his heart breaks for the broken. As a church, I've been talking about the 400, and I brought Eeyore today. You go, hey, I saw that. What's that for? You wanting to give it to somebody? No. Eeyore represents a value. And you say, oh, really? Is it because he's got his tail? No, it's not because he has his tail. Do you remember the story of Eeyore when? when he got swept away in a current. And Pooh Bear, Winnie the Pooh, is standing on a bridge. 
And he sees Eeyore floating down the river. Do you remember what Eeyore says? He says, kind of like this, Blue, you're not too busy. I can handle a little rescuing. There are 400 people now, 397, within a few miles of this church. They can handle a little rescuing. That's my value system. Until that number zero, we got some rescuing to do. And this is what he represents to me. I'm going to keep him up here around us to remind us that we're not done yet. There are people who need rescuing. And, and guess what? They can't do it themselves. Their value is about themselves. And they won't ever rise above where they're at unless someone shows them another way. The prodigal son had a place to go. Do you hear me? The prodigal son had a place to go. Of the people within a few miles from here that need Jesus, they think they have no place to go. Is your value system such that you will let them know they do? Will you invite them? Will you encourage them to come to the shack where some healing may begin and restoration? Will you reach out and say, listen, can I pray for you? What can I pray about? Our church prays and see answers to prayer. You may not know if they're church or not. It doesn't matter. Just say, can I pray for you? Can our church pray for you? We see answers to prayer a lot. We'd like to pray for you. You might say, that makes me uncomfortable. Your value system will make you uncomfortable when it changes because it's new. But it's not your value system. You're using it as God's now, isn't it? Well, let me put it to you this way. If it makes you uncomfortable, think about Calvary. That's not uncomfortable. That's painful. I can handle a little discomfort for what Jesus gave me in His life, which is a whole lot of hurt. Scripture says you have not had to suffer to the point of bloodshed. You have not. You're still living. So a little discomfort's okay compared to that, isn't it? What are your values? I brought some value identification sheets to help you find out. And then let's go from there. Is it about self? Or is it about Jesus Christ? That's the question I leave you this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Your grace is so great, Your mercy never ended. And we need it, Heavenly Father. We're just... When it's broken down too, we're just flesh and blood, dust returning to dust. In between, it's a matter of moments. We're either going to live and love or we're not, but Your Spirit breathed into us gives us life. And that life can give life and hope to others, Heavenly Father. But we have to choose Your way over ours. Your way over the world. Your way over things that make sense to us compared to what You say is the truth. Heavenly Father, that battle in our mind may rage, but the Word says very clearly that those who seek Me will indeed respond to Me. And you will find Me when you seek Me with all your heart. And I will prosper you in your plans at that time. Heavenly Father, we've been looking for prosperity.